Christopher in a unbelievable story that's, uh, it's actually, it's, it's like rated R in the Bible. You ought to read it. It's crazy. Um, I invite you to be back next week. We begin a biopic series uh, on steroids, a leader on steroids, a shepherd turned giant killer turned king turned sinner. And yet through all that, he's a man after God's own heart, King David. We will begin that and take it all the way into Father's Day. And so if you don't have a church home, if you've been kicking the tires of being a part of a church, this would be a fantastic time, not only for you, but also a fantastic time for your kiddos. We want to be the best partner that you've ever had in the spiritual development of your children. And part of that is every Sunday, letting them be in an environment where they can grow in in Christ-like character, conduct, and convictions. And you can be given some handlebars on how to do that as well. So today, before we even start, I just got news. We have started a whole nother campus. It's our Angelina Room overflow at the broadcast location. People are having to sit in, in the overflow room today. So welcome, guys. We want to give you a great experience there. You guys underneath one of your seats is actually a golden ticket for a $100 gift card to Macy's. I'm kidding. Don't look. You're looking right now. We don't have, we didn't prepare for that. We didn't, okay. There's there's no Easter eggs in there, sorry, but, but we're so glad and we, we will save a seat. We want to make sure you get primo seating next week when you come back. But everybody, wherever you're sitting, I want to invite you to take the Easter survey. You can also click on the link there on the online campus. And there's a simple connect card on one side. Everybody grab it right here in the Lufkin location. Whether you've been a guest, whether you've been here 97 years, we've only been around 93. So if you've been here 97, we need to meet. But, but I want you just to, uh, if you would like to know more about Timber Creek, you're like looking for next steps. What, are you, what is in it for you? How, how do you connect in a big church? I don't know. I'm a little overwhelmed. It's a big church. I don't know if I like a big church. Well, you go to Walmart and it's overwhelming too. So big isn't always bad. We're going to make it. We're going to be all right. And we want to help you make connections here at Timber Creek and get you on your next steps. The connect card is one of the ways you can do that. Um, whether you connect in another next step or not, maybe your next step is just you got something to pray about and we'd love to pray with you. So just fill out that prayer request card too, and we'd, be, we'd love to pray with you this week. Our entire team will pray over every single request. Several thousand requests come in every Easter. We pray over every single one by name. So please fill that out. We would love to be joining you in prayer. But on the other side is our annual survey. We do this at Christmas and Easter. And uh, we, we, we're, we've got very simple questions. The first question is this. How did you hear about Timber Creek? You can just kind of jot that down. If you had a friend, put your name, put the name of the friend there. You heard about it online or something, just let us know. A smoke signal or, or something, just, just let us know. Um, how did, what are the greatest areas of stress that people experience? Coming up in the next few months, I'm gonna do a series all about stress and we're gonna navigate stress from a biblical perspective. We all got stress, we're all dealing with stress. Some people deal with it in a good way, other people deal with it in a bad way. How does God say to deal with stress? And you're gonna help me write those messages by giving your input on this survey card. Here's another one, number three on the survey, super simple. What do you think are the greatest barriers to knowing God? God left heaven and came to earth as man. He removed whatever distance and barriers possible for you to know him personally. But many times there's still some barriers that it's hard to get through. Maybe it's understanding the Bible. Or maybe it's not quite knowing how to pray. You'd like to pray. Or maybe it's you, you don't feel like church meets, like it's church, but it doesn't really speak to like my everyday life. What do you think are the barriers for people to knowing God personally? Way beyond a vague electrical force field, who is a personal God? And so let me just jot a couple ideas. If you don't have anything, don't put anything. That's totally okay. And then the fourth question is this, and it's simply A, B, C, or D. Now here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. 
I'm just going to invite you to take that survey and, and just kind of set it aside. And we will get to number four, this A, B, C, or D, right at the end of our message today. Everybody will fill it out. All of us are one of those. There's nobody left out. One of us is an A, uh, other is a B, a C, or a D. So please be a part of that, but just set it to the side right now. Some of you are going to put it in your purse. You may not do that. If your purse is like my wife's purse, you will not find it until June. Like you put something in that purse and it's like, oh, there that is, okay. There's a gift card from 1987. <laughs> a, B, C, or D, we'll put that aside. We'll catch that in a minute. Today, we celebrate Easter, everybody. And what, what a great time we've already had. Powerful music and, and powerful worship. But you know, Easter, in order to get to the hope and get to the life and get to the pastels of resurrection and, and the gift of, of eternal life that's paid for by the blood of Jesus, in order to get to all this beautiful area, the truth is we only know the depth of hope. We only know the brightness uh, of, the, of the beauty. Uh, and we don't know it until we go back and we kind of strip away all the brightness we get to the darkness of Easter. We don't understand the brilliance of hope until we know the darkness that Jesus went through to provide that hope. And we back up the track. We back up the movie from the moment he's risen and the stone is rolled away. We back up about 48 hours to 36 hours or so, and we get to the Last Supper. The final supper of Jesus with his disciples and there he's breaking bread. They're having a Passover meal. And there's so much intentionality and symbolism within this meal because it's representative of they do it every single year in order to celebrate the exodus out of Egypt. They were Hebrew slaves. And Jesus, God provided all kinds of miracles for them to become free, to come out of Egypt and become free. And it was a long process. But they celebrate that at Passover. And as Jesus is taking the bread, he's breaking it and he's saying, remember how we break this bread and we separate it and we talk about the bread, the manna that's in the desert. When you eat this bread, don't just think of the manna in the desert. Think of me. Remember me. Think of my body. It's going to be broken for you. They take the cup and they will drink it several times, five different times within that 13 step Passover meal. They'll drink and they'll remember a promise. And he says, hey, when you take this cup and you drink, when you do that, remember me. This is way beyond the, the blood that we put on the posts of the doors. This is my blood that's gonna be poured out for you. Now, the guys, here's sneak peek. They don't even get it. They don't even understand it. We go, oh, yeah, because we see hindsight. They're going, what? Huh? And they don't understand it until they fast forward the clock and they see, and the next time Passover comes around, then they go, oh, that's what he meant because they did not know yet that Jesus was gonna die like he was gonna die and raise like he was gonna be raised from the dead. In the middle of all that, Judas is dipping his chips in the salsa, with the same salsa bowl as Jesus. He leaves in the middle of it, he goes and he gets his payment. And in a few moments, we're gonna run smack dab back into the middle of Judas as he betrays our Lord. But at the end of that last supper, that final meal, Jesus takes his disciples and it says they're walking together, singing together something powerful about being in the presence with people singing. Something powerful about that. And they're singing a, a song together and they go to Jesus' favorite spot. They go to a place called the Mount of Olives. I've been there. It's up the mountain. You can oversee the entire city. Uh, even today, modern day Jerusalem, you see the entire city 
on the top of that mountain. And as you climb that mount and you go into a deeper part, you get into more of a, a wooded area. It's not so much mountain terrain and openness. You get into a wooded forested area and it's known as the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in between all of these olive trees, there is this place where Jesus would go, a place where Jesus would pray. And there in the garden, he is praying and he takes a minute and he goes even deeper in. And in this moment, he is beginning to feel the weight of what's about to happen. It's not just the wooden beams. That's, it's not anything about the beams that save us. It's all about what Jesus bore on himself as he was hung to the tree. It's not about the tree. It's about the Savior on the tree. And what happened with the Savior, his complete humanity, is already beginning to feel the pressure of all the weight of sin of the entire human race being placed upon him to the point where his humanity, his physiological body, can't even contain the kind of emotional, physical, psychological stress that's being placed upon him. In this moment, he is beginning to feel the hand of his Father begin to lift because he's becoming forsaken for you and for me. Why does he do this at the garden before he goes through all the other stuff, before he's on the tree? Why doesn't he just wait to put all that pressure on him when he's on the cross? Because if he waits till he is hung to the cross, it's no longer Jesus' choice. He has no choice but to die for your sins. But in the garden, in the middle of the night, where nobody's watching, his three closest amigos are falling asleep, he could have slipped through the back door of the garden. He could have hopped on a boat and went across Galilee, left them a note saying, I've left, I've gone back to my father, and they never would have been the wiser. But Jesus chooses, even in the middle of that, he says, this is a cup I don't want to drink, but I'm going to drink it. Not my will, yours be done. And in the middle of that praying, and in the middle of the falling asleep, the heavy eyes of the disciples that are trying to stay awake because it's late at night, it's past midnight, all of a sudden they're startled up and the adrenaline begins to flow because they hear the sound of centurion's feet and they hear the rustling of armor and they see the flickers of torches and coming up that same mountain is a group, a brigade, a cavalry, a, a, a cavalry of men that are coming to take Jesus. And it's this crazy moment where the disciples are standing there and they don't know what to do. And the torches and the intensity is there in the room and, and in the middle of the centurions, a man pushes through and it's Judas. And Judas, in order to identify the right one, he goes up to Jesus so close and kisses him on the cheek. Why a kiss? Why someone in his own posse? Why someone that's been with him for three years? It just goes to show you that Humanity is broken. That it doesn't matter how close you've been with Jesus. Every single one of us have the capacity to drift. He gives Judas a kiss, or Jesus a kiss, and the centurions take him. And as they're trying to wrestle him and put the handcuffs on his back, Peter jumps in and takes his fillet knife out and tries to go for the jugular, but he hits an ear of one of the soldiers and he slices the ear off of one of the guards and the ear falls to the ground. And Jesus, before he's handcuffed, he says, Peter, stop, Peter. They've got a hand on his, on his head and they're trying to get him into the back of the car. And he says, stop. And he bends down and he, he picks up the ear of his accusers 
and he, and he heals a man where he stands. He says, Peter, that's not how we're doing this. This is not, this is not how we do this. And he's arrested. And as he's arrested, he is now not just taken and put in a holding cell until the proper process of litigation takes place. He actually goes through six trials before he carries the cross to Golgotha. Those six trials are separated within the four gospels. And it starts with them taking into the religious leaders. See, Jesus had done nothing against the law in Rome, but he had broken the law because he had claimed to be the son of God. Well, it's not breaking the law if you're the son of God. And he had claimed he was the son of the living God. And they were saying, that's against the law. That's blasphemy. And in Jewish culture, if you blasphemed, you would be stoned to death in the street by the young and the old. They would give their children stones and they would stone the blasphemer in the middle of the street and go get lunch. And Jesus though, is not going to be tried like a normal person. Why? Because he's got thousands of followers on Facebook. He's got thousands of followers following him on the hillsides. He has fed the multitudes just a few days earlier. He had come into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and the streets were lined like the Macy's Thanksgiving parade. People singing, holy Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Jewish leaders saw the tipping point. They saw that their whole structure of holding their people at bay, being the strong religious elite, that they were losing their grip and Jesus was seeing a tipping point take place that, wait, 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 you mean it's not the priest that do all this that you're going to do like you're like with us yeah that's why he came Emmanuel God with us and so what they do is under the guise of midnight in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping they take him through multiple trials because they're trying to they're trying to pork barrel this deal they're they're, they're trying to slide it through as quickly as they can under the shadow of secrecy they go to Annas, who is the previous administration, to get his stamp of approval for the old guard. They go to Caiaphas and they meet in his courtyard. And Caiaphas talks and they gnash their teeth and they say, you're a sinner and you're a blasphemer. And it's in this courtyard that in the distance over in the, over in the corner, there's a, a group warming their hands because it's very cold. Jesus is standing there and there around the fire is one of his disciples, Peter, who's warming his hands who had just cut off the ear of the guy trying to take Jesus and now he's warming his hands with the enemy. From Caiaphas, they agree it's time to take it into the legislature and they go into the religious legislator, the Sanhedrin, the group of people, and they are saying it is time. He is wrong. They're just basically casting it all out so that they can, they can get their judgment, get all of their words, get their case together so they can then approach the Roman occupation. The Jews couldn't do anything without the stamp of approval from Rome who occupied. They were basically citizens but somewhat slaves to the Roman occupation and so they go to Pilate, who's the governor of Judah. And there in, with Pilate, Pilate asks some questions, but he's not having it. Pilate actually says, this is, there is no substantial, this is all circumstantial, this is, there's no substance to this. You, you deal with it with your people. And so Jesus is now dragged, having just had one last supper, gone through the garden and crazy turmoil and the weight of sin already falling upon him, to being betrayed by his own to having to walk through all of this process, he goes to King Herod. 
And Herod says, no, you're not going to pin this on me because he's, he's got a pretty nice, juicy job where he's kind of this in-between, this mediator between the Jews and Rome. They call him king, but he's kind of just like a straw puppet, but he's got a lot of luxury and he's living in the lap of it. And so he says, no, I'm not dealing with this. You take him back to Pilate. And so finally, the leaders take him back to Pilate. And it's through all of this that Jesus is not just walking from the van into the courtroom, back to the van, back to Pilate. Jesus is blindfolded and beaten. He's mocked. When he's blindfolded, the, the guards are punching him in the face saying, hey, you open blind eyes. Can you see us with the mask on? They're coming underneath that blindfold and ripping his beard out, spitting in his face, stripping him down naked. We, we PG the thing. We, we put a lot of PG on the story. It was brutal. It, it was grotesque. He's tortured. Within an inch of his life, they take a cat of nine tails, they melt wax with bone and, 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 and glass in it, and they put him in front of everybody and they whip him over and over and over and over again. Many times the whip would, would wrap around the face and, and rip an eye out. Many times it would kill them where they stood. And Jesus endured that and he becomes a bloody mess of rippled flesh. To make things even more grandiose, they place a crown of thorns on him, mocking him. And here he stands now with a, with a robe as a, as a funny gesture, as a sarcasm. They place a robe over him. They place the crown of thorns and he stands back out with Pilate. And Pilate says, look, today is a special day. I've got another prisoner. His name is Barabbas. Hasn't he gone through enough? Jesus stands there bloody and torn and exhausted and broken. Hasn't he gone through enough? And yet the crowd says, crucify him. We want Barabbas. We want the thief. We want the ringleader of the criminal outfit to be free, kill Jesus. And Pilate washes his hands and said, his blood is not on my hands. And scripture records that the crowd says, let his blood be on our hands. They were that adamant. They were that scared of what a new day would really look like. And he carries his cross. The patabellum is the top part of the cross and he takes the top beam and he's supposed to carry that cross a mile and a half, about 7,500 feet uphill to a place called Cranion, a place called Calvary, a place called Golgotha. It's three different languages, but those names mean the exact same thing. They mean the skull. If some of you grew up in a real good traditional church called Calvary Church, you actually grew up in Skull Church. That's cool, I like that. I like that name. Where do you go? Bless the Lord. We go to Skull Baptist. I can dig it. I get a tattoo of that. That's cool. He carries his cross to the point where he can't carry his cross. Even Jesus now cannot carry it. His human body is not strong enough anymore. And so Simon the Cyrene from Africa, he picks up the beam, the patabellum, and he carries it the rest of the way. They lay him down, and with a trio of nails, they suspend him to the cross. They would raise him up and it would be on a main thoroughfare. 30,000 people were crucified every year. 
we get to the scripture that says, when they came to the place called the stall, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. This is the dark days before Easter. Do you know why there's a criminal on his right and on his left? It's not to make a beautiful postcard with a sunset and three, three crosses in symmetrical order with sashes on each one of them. It's because the middle one was designated for Barabbas. These are his henchmen. These are his, uh, these are his dawns. He's the godfather. Barabbas is the godfather supposed to be dying, but instead it's, it's the almighty son of the living God that takes the place of the common criminal. There Jesus is crucified. 30,000 people a year. He's got a, a, a poster on the top in three different languages because so many people would come across. They wanted to make sure that this man is being crucified because he said he was the king of the Jews. The religious leaders didn't even want him to write that, but Pilate said, no, 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 no. You're gonna own what you've done. Here is the king of the Jews in three languages. Modern day historians say it would be like crucifying Jesus in Times Square. It would be like crucifying Jesus in the parking lot of Walmart. It would be like a normal place where people would go and drive by and you would see death. Crucifixion is not crucifixion because of the nails. Crucifixion is crucifixion because it's execution by suffocation. And when you're crucified, you are holding all of your weight on those nails in the wrists. And the only way to get relief is you, you pull up and you get out, you get out of that pain and you just try and take a breath. And, then, and Jesus is already so close. This is what makes the words of Jesus on the cross so unbelievably powerful. Listen to me, everybody. Lean in just for a second. Every one of us will have last words. Many of us don't know what they will be. I've read sad stories of meaningless texts and then a car wreck. Did you get the milk? And it's the, it's the last words. We all will have last words, but his came at immeasurable cost. 72 muscles in the mouth and tongue. He's exhausted to the point you and I don't understand exhaustion. Being executed by suffocation and yet he still musters enough strength to give us seven statements on the cross. We'll just look at the first one. The first statement from an exhausted, misjudged, innocent man who's been beaten within an inch of his life, who's also the son of God carrying the weight of all of our sin, the first words, Father, forgive them. They, they don't even know what they're doing. He musters up enough strength not to talk about himself, but to talk to his source of strength and to talk about them and to offer forgiveness. The question I just wanna land on today is as we finish Easter Sunday together, here's the question, who, who's the them? If, 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 I, if I'm at the cross and I'm watching this and I hear the Savior say, Father, forgive them, I'm thinking of the soldiers. I'm thinking of Pilate. I'm thinking of Herod. I'm thinking of this Sanhedrin. I, if, if I'm Mary and I'm at the cross, I'm hearing Father, forgive them. I'm thinking of those that deserted him. I'm thinking of every, I'm thinking of like, who, who, who is he forgiving right now? Father, forgive them. Who's the them? It may be who you think and it may not be who you think. 
It may be more than you think. But the them are people just like Thomas. Thomas isn't mentioned at the crucifixion. Thomas is mentioned later. We know Thomas. In fact, history gives him a nickname. And it ain't Tommy. They give him a nickname. Everybody knows the nickname of Thomas. If you've been in church a couple of times, his name was Turbo Thomas. No, 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 it wasn't Turbo. It's Doubting Thomas. You're right, Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Why? Because he wasn't a doubter all the time. In fact, when you back up the story, you see that Jesus is going to go heal Lazarus, raise Lazarus from the dead, and all the disciples say, uh-uh, uh-uh, I don't think so. No. Ain't nobody got time for that. They tried to stone you, Jesus. We ain't going back to Judah. And Tom is the one that speaks up. Thomas said to the rest of them, let us also go. Come on, boys, that we may die with him. He had boldness. He had boldness, but he lost it somewhere. When the going gets tough, it's amazing how we can get fearful. When life changes and turns on a dime, when a pandemic strikes, it's amazing how much hope we put in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. But when the political candidate changes or when the climate changes or when the culture starts screaming, it's amazing how fearful we can get. And that we begin being driven by fear. It can happen to all of us. All of us. We're the them. Thomas was going to say, I'm going to die for him. And then he's MIA at the cross. He's MIA at the safe house after Jesus resurrects. He's nowhere to be seen. And so Jesus is saying to us and he's saying to Thomas, even when you are strong and maybe you've drifted or you had a lot of faith, but your faith's been tested and now you've not shown up, I want you to know I love you anyway. No matter what you've gone through, no matter how scared you've been, I love you right where you are. I meet you where you are. The them is Thomas. You know who else the them is? The them is Peter. Peter, who was one of the very first to be called of Jesus. Jesus was on a seashore three and a half years earlier. He's speaking the truth. Peter is tired. He's a third shift worker. He's been fishing all night. He ain't even caught a boot. Ain't even caught a boot. And they are cleaning the nets to go home. And here's the deal. You fish for a living. If you don't catch fish, you don't have fish to take to the market. If you go to the market without fish, you got no money to make. If you go home and you got a wife and you got no money to make because you have no fish to the market, you ain't going to have a happy wife. And hey, you don't have a happy wife. Good luck. <laughs> and that's Peter. And Jesus is talking and Jesus has the audacity to say to Petey, hey, Pete, hey, you want to let's launch out into the deep and let's catch some fish. And Jesus says, we've been fishing all night, Jesus. But because you say so, we'll do it. And sure enough, the nets they were cleaning, they pick them back up. They launch out into the deep and <laughs> something they've never seen in their life. They're about ready to sink the boats. There's so much fish. And I can just see Jesus going, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> you know, like it's just, ah. yeah, yeah. Messiah right here. <laughs> and they, they, another boat has to help them. And by the time they get close to the seashore, Peter falls into the shallow water. And he says, my Lord, and my God, I'm not even worthy. And I see Jesus getting into the water with him. And he says, hey, you think that's cool? You think fishing is cool? What if we caught people together? 
What if we fish for people? And Peter left everything and began to follow him. Three and a half years he follows. He cuts a guy's ear off to protect him. He boldly, Peter's like, you know, he's got a mouth that kind of runs before his brain does. Anybody married to somebody like that? <laughs> My wife's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's walking on the street with Jesus one day and he says, who do people say that I am? And they're a little afraid because if it's blasphemy, they'll get in trouble and they won't want to hear anybody to say. And they say, well, people say you're Elijah. People say you're Moses. Like, who are you? And Peter says, I'll tell you who you are right now and whatnot. I'm gonna tell you everything and everything what for. You're the Messiah, son of the living God. I'm gonna tell you right now, I'll tell everybody. I'm gonna post it on Facebook. He's the son of God. And Jesus says, you're right. The Holy Spirit showed that to you. As crazy as Peter was, he's the kind of guy that's like, here, hold my Dr. Pepper. I'm gonna jump the four-wheeler over the barn and then he's in the ER. That's Peter. He's quick to cut the dude's ear off, but he's just as quick because he's driven by his emotion. Now he's afraid. He's imbalanced. He's scared. And there in the courtyard, one of the high priest's servants, a look at this, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. Like when you got a guy a few hours earlier that cut your uncle Frank's ear off, you're gonna kind of remember what they look like. And you're like, hey, yo, I saw you with that knife, bro. Uncle Frankie's at the Methodist hospital right now. And some of you grew up Methodist, you're like, bless God, there was a Methodist hospital there at the cross. <laughs> Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter, afraid. Peter, part of the them. He denies him. And in that moment, a rooster crows. Cock-a-doodle-doo. He realizes Jesus' words earlier. Before you even, like, you're going, you're going to defend me, but you're going to deny me. He says, Never. But in that emotional moment, never do not underestimate. Listen to me. Do not underestimate your capacity to drift from God. Because it's not about your commitment to him. It really is about his commitment to you. If you can get that in the right order and you understand his commitment to you is greater than the commitment you could ever give to him, then you've got things in the right order. Hey, you know what? The them is Judas. The them is Judas. Of course it's Judas. Like, you know, some of you, you have relatives named Uncle Tommy. You got Thomas. Some of you, your name is Peter or Pete or Petey. There's not a whole lot. I don't meet a whole lot of, you know, here's our son, Judas. Like, like I don't meet a whole lot of Judases these days. I don't. Why? It's because like, man, who do you want to name your kids after? Our son is Graham. We named him after Billy Graham. Graham, we, we, we just, we just, I love the life of integrity. Billy Graham lived and we named him after Graham, Billy Graham. We didn't name him Judas, you know, there's not a whole lot there to name him after. It's a, you know, whatever. Why? So we understand that part of the father forgive them would be the guy that gave him the kiss of betrayal. Duh. The guy that was the thief. Yeah. But the truth is there's a whole lot of Judas in all of us that we're after our own comfort many times. And, and here's what I'm trying to say. Father, forgive them. The them is us. And on the cross, on the cross, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. This is written hundreds of years before crucifixion even was a thing. In Jewish culture, they were stoned to death. And yet Isaiah is speaking about he was pierced. 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Isaiah goes on to say, we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You don't carry your iniquity. Jesus carried the sin, the inequity, the iniquity of us all. We're the them that he's thinking of and speaking of. Father, forgive humanity. They don't know what they're doing. USA Today did a poll of several thousand Americans just a few years ago, and they asked the question, how do you see God? Check this out. 21% of the thousands that were surveyed said, we see God as loving. He's a loving, benevolent God. Two out of 10. Almost eight out of 10 saw God, the picture of how they saw God was punishing and distant. That he's just waiting to slap you across the face with a belt. He's just leaning over the wall of heaven, counting down the time where he's going to finally let you burn. Where he's distant, untouchable. Of course he is. Why would he let all this junk happen in the world? Of course he's distant. Of course he's punishing. If he's so loving, why does he let that happen? Why does my child get sick? Why do these questions take place? Why can't I get an answer from him? And I want you to know that this is a safe church where you can... Wrestle with those things. That Jesus is not afraid of your questions and neither are we. That he receives us as we are. Lord Church, anyone can come to where it's okay not to be okay, but I believe Jesus loves you so much. He just doesn't want you to stay that way. But he's a big boy. He's a big God. He can handle your questions. The, the problem with questions though, can I just say this before I move on? is you're not gonna get the right answers from the wrong people. If you got questions about Jesus, do you, do you know who the best person is to ask? Jesus. You talk to him about it. We're getting so much temporary relief from people liking and putting the care emoji on Facebook that we never go to the true source of hope and care and love and acceptance and clarity. You know what? If he's not a loving God, if he's so distant and so punishing, why are the first words before he's beaten within an inch of his life are words of love and kindness and forgiveness? He is a loving God. My first words would have been, Father, forget him. My first words would have been, Father, get him, kill him. Yeah, Jesus' first words are Father. He knew where his source came from. He is praying for forgiveness and he's paying for your forgiveness. See, the them is us, whether we know it or not. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And do you know that there's sometimes, you're, you're here today not to learn about forgiveness of God for your sins, but you're here to learn the forgiveness of a friend or a relative or an associate or a neighbor that's wounded you, hurt you, you're carrying bitterness and you need to forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. And the same grace that flows to you on the cross has gotta flow through you to others. When you begin to understand how Jesus paid for forgiveness, it's easier for you to begin to give it because you know what we wanna do? We want people to earn it. We want people to earn our forgiveness. They gotta prove that they can be forgiven. Jesus never made you do that. You don't even know what you've done and he forgives you.
whether we know it or not, that them is us. But I'm here to tell you that we don't have to stay in the dark days. You don't have to stay in the, in the dormant phase. You don't have to, t- to stay in the places of confusion and pain and turmoil. Yes, Easter to get there is dark, but there's hope coming. There's hope for all the them. There's hope for all the them, the them that you never give hope for, the them that you've locked eyes with that you don't know if you could ever trust them again. There's hope for them too. There's hope for Thomas. On the day of the resurrection, Thomas was one of the 12. He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came on the day of the resurrection and showed up. So the other disciples told him Thomas showed up late. He's got a basket of groceries from Brookshire Brothers. Comes in, gives the secret knock and they open it up. They're in the safe house. They're afraid that they're going to be next to be crucified. And he shows up and they're going, they can't even explain it. He's here. We've seen the Lord. We've seen it. And they're like, no way. They're like, Yahweh. Thomas is skeptical. Thomas ain't having it. Thomas ain't believing every conspiracy he's seeing them post on Facebook. He says to them, "Uh -uh, uh -uh, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I ain't gonna believe. And we call him doubting Thomas, yet you and I are all wired to believe it when we see it and we give him a battle rap, but we're all doubting Thomas's too. And if we had our choice, Jesus just show up and show out just the way you can and I don't even have to see, or Jesus show me everything you're doing, reveal to me next plan, plan A, B, C, D, step one, two, three, four. Every single one of us wants step four, five, six, seven, and eight. We all want that. We give Thomas a bad rap, but we're the them. We're the Thomas. And a week later, his disciples were in that house again. Thomas was with them this time. Somebody else did the grocery run. Though the doors were locked, this is a cool moment. Though the doors are locked, in other words, he didn't go, hello, anybody home? I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will let me in, I will come in and dine with them. That's a whole different place in scripture. (laughs) Jesus goes, Bartholomew, Spits out his coffee. Andrew passes out on the coffee table like Tommy boy. Everybody's going, ah, ah. They think it's a ghost. He's like, chill, peace, peace. Be with you. He has to say it twice. Peace be with you. They're picking up Andrew off the table. They're giving him a glass of water. And uh uh-oh. Have you ever been in a group of small kids and somebody gets in trouble with the teacher and all the kids go, oh. Uh-oh. Uh, Mrs. Jeffries, can you please send Jeremy to the principal's office? Oh, Jeremy, oh, what'd you do, J.Y.? It's this moment. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus said to Thomas, hey, Thomas. And people go, <laughs> you in trouble. They're backing up. They're pushing him forward. He's like, cut it out. <sighs> Thomas walks close. And d- d- does Jesus say, bro, 
where were you? Bro, you said you were going to die with me, and then you're MIA. Dude, you, you got to have all these things. What am I, just like a, a slot machine for you to believe? I got to hand out this. I got to hand out that. Our Savior, who died for Thomas while Thomas was hiding, here's what he says. Hey, Thomas steps a little bit closer. Jesus gets all the way up, grabs him by the hand. He says, put your finger here. You see my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. This is an intimate moment. This is how close Jesus wants to get with you. Write it down as we finish today. Number one, Jesus will give you what you need when you need it. He'll give you what you need when you need it. Sometimes you have what you don't want. And sometimes you don't have what you want. Sometimes you wish you could get what you feel like you need. And he says, I don't really need you to need that. I want you to need this. But 100% of the time, Jesus will always give you what you need when you need it. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. There's hope for Thomas. Do you know what else? There's hope even for Judas. But unfortunately, Judas' story is backwards Judas never saw the hope. He didn't wait it out long enough. I want you to know that while we were still sinners, every single one of us, he died for us, and there's no one exempt ever from being saved by grace through faith. How do I know this? Well, Judas, he was a thief, he was money hungry, and he was also a nationalist. He was looking for the throne of Pilate to be debunked. He was looking for following Jesus for the kingdom on this earth. In fact, a lot of the disciples were following Jesus thinking that he was gonna bring this kingdom to Israel. They weren't thinking the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, this spiritual supernatural thing. They were thinking he was gonna like bust into the Roman palace, grab Pilate by the, by the, 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 the big toe and go bam, 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 out of here, move over sport. And he was gonna set up his own kingdom because they were asking him, can I sit on your right? Can I sit on your left? Can we rule? Can we have tiny little thrones around your big throne? Can we be the knights of the round table? Can we do all these things? They're saying, when will you restore? After he raises from the dead, when are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, it's not about that power. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You're not going to receive power when, when we take over the legislative branch. So many Christians have followed that same thinking as his disciples close to Jesus that if we can just control certain political powers, that that's where the kingdom of God is. And Jesus has already been trying to tell us it's not the White House, it's God's house. He's been trying to say it, make it clear to all of us. Regardless of your political preference, I mean, elephants and donkeys, let's get back to the lamb, everybody. Got to get back to what Jesus has done. And Judas, though, he wants his political party. He thinks if he can manipulate the system and get Jesus into a point where he has got to call the angels down, this whole thing's going to break open and we're going to see what we've been looking for. Judas didn't expect Jesus to die. How do I know that? Because scripture says it. Scripture says it. Let me show you in Matthew 27. When Judas, who had betrayed him, 
saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. Whoa, this is not going the way I, I feel terrible. This is not what I expected. He was seized with remorse. He says, he returns the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest. It's not even about the money anymore. He goes to them and he takes the 30 pieces of silver. And here's what he says. He says, I have what, Nagadotis and Lufkin? I have what? Sin. Sin. He's admitting I have sin. He is confessing his sin. The Bible is clear. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The only problem is he's confessing to the wrong people that aren't able to, to cleanse him. He's having a cleansing moment, but he's confessing to the wrong people. So many people have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with issues and they confess to the wrong people. When Jesus is available, cast your burdens upon him. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. Here's what the chief priests say that are supposed to care about people. They say, what's that to us? That is your responsibility. And even though we probably wouldn't name a bunch of our kiddos and grandkiddos Judas, I can tell you that many of us walk around like Judas where we carry the guilt and the condemnation and the responsibility of our sin on our own shoulders when it was never yours to carry. That he's already paid for you not to have to carry that sin and that guilt and that shame. And do you know what happens? Do you know what happens when someone carries that guilt and that conviction and that shame and they never hand it to the right hands that can take all of that away? Judas threw the money into the pit, into the temple, and he went and he hanged himself. And it may not be that you would take your own life, but you do take your own life into your own hands as though you're responsible to pay for your sin. But Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid. Write it down, number two. Jesus already paid for your shame with his own life. While Judas is paying for his shame with his own blood, Jesus was simultaneously paying for all of humanity's shame with his Had Judas just waited, he could have seen hope. And I want to tell you, if you've walked into this room and you're wearing shame, let me tell you what shame is. When you feel guilty about something, that's good. You ought to feel guilty. When you confess it and you say, Jesus, forgive me of that. Jesus forgives you. He forgives you and he washes it away. But then when you continue to walk as though you're not forgiven, that's shame. When you are forgiven of something and yet you walk, in that condemnation and that shame. Jesus already bore all that shame for you. Hey, as we finish up, there's hope for Peter. Peter didn't have to stay in his dark days. Peter got hope too. And on the day of the resurrection, when some women are walking to the tomb, they're, they're in grief. Grief does crazy things to people. They're not even thinking straight. They've got spices to put around Jesus' body. And as they're walking, the Bible says they say, oh, how are we going to roll away the stone? We're not strong enough. They weren't even thinking about it. They were just going. But as they walked closer, they realized the stone had already been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, angel robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. And I love what the angel says next. They're alarmed. Jesus, God knows. And so he says, don't be alarmed. They're like, good, because that's exactly like, like read our mind. <laughs> we're a little alarmed right now. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of the Nazarene who's crucified. He's risen. He's not here. And, he, and it's, it's like, see the place where they laid him. And it's empty. 
Now here are the next words that you will skip and miss if you don't understand the beauty of the story of forgiveness and the thems in the Bible. The angel has direct responsibility to be a messenger of God and God himself tells the angel to say this, go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter is a disciple, but God in his love and mercy and grace would pinpoint Peter out. Why? Because he knew Peter needed to know. I haven't forgotten about you. I know what you did. I know all you've done. And I want you to know too, I'm alive. That shows, tell the disciples and John, tell the disciples and Peter, tell the disciples and Josh, tell the disciples and Jeremy, tell the disciples, tell the disciples and JR, tell the disciples and Bob, tell the disciples and Jennifer, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, the them is us. And there is no pit so deep, his love is not deeper still. There is no sin so dark, his grace cannot cleanse it. There is no shame so consuming in you that he hasn't already worn it for you. But I want to give you a couple of moments here to understand something deep about forgiveness today. Number three, you, you can't earn it, but you do have to accept it and you got to learn to give it. You don't earn. Judas thought he was out of the opportunity to ever get back into good graces with God. He thought he'd have to earn his forgiveness, but Jesus already paid for his forgiveness. And you may feel the same way. But you can't just be okay with Jesus dying for your sins and forgiving you. It's something you have to accept. In 1829, there were two men on death row. Andrew Jackson, made the decision to pardon both men. They were three weeks away from being hanged. One of the men immediately accepted the pardon and was a free man and went back to his family. But the other man, it was a conundrum and it caused a constitutional query. It caused a governmental issue because one of the men who were pardoned by the president, they refused to be pardoned. They said, I don't wanna be pardoned, I wanna die. I don't wanna be set free. And so this conundrum, politically, legally, went all the way to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court had to talk about and discuss and bring down a ruling. Is this even, is this even able to happen? Can a guy not be pardoned? Because you would think that everybody would be like, thank you, like it's okay, it's hanging or it's home. Not a hard decision. So the Supreme Court met and they came down with this ruling in the statement from 1829 from the Supreme Court. A pardon is not valid without acceptance. The truth is everybody, you have been pardoned and so have I. But it's not valid unless you actually accept it. You have to embrace it. It's not something you buy. It was already paid for, it's a gift. But you can leave it unwrapped where it stands. Or you can place your hands, palms up, and the mercy and grace and love, the personal Jesus will meet you right where you are. In fact, that's what Jesus does. He will meet you where?
So let's go to the final question on our survey. Pull out your survey at all of our locations, A, B, C, or D. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna read each one and then we'll mark it. Let's wait, let's wait till we read them. And then we'll check mark, we'll sing one last song and we'll go celebrate the rest of Easter weekend. So let me give you the four. Every single one of us, I'm one of them, you're one of them. You would be an A in just a moment if you say, I'm following Jesus. I'm not perfect, he is, and I'm already in a real relationship with Jesus. He's my savior, he's my Lord. I would say to you, if that's you, in just a moment, check mark that, but I would also invite you to a fresh level of surrender today. Just a fresh level of reminding you of the hope that's found in him and nothing less than his blood. You would mark B today if something inside of you has been saying, I'm not where I wanna be. And you would say today, Jesus, I surrender. You're ready to start or restart a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're like that sheep that goes astray. We've all done that. All like sheep we go astray. Your pastor's gone astray. But Jesus, I surrender or I re-surrender to you. And in just a moment, if that's you, I, I want you to know I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over us and you can kind of pray in your own words and I'm gonna be a tour guide for you on, on that prayer. You're here and you would mark C in just a moment if you're saying, this is a lot to take in. It's a lot and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still considering it. I, I'm not quite ready. Can I just say to you, this church is some like designed for you. Like we're okay with you investigating. What I would hate for you to do is just kind of consider it, but never be around people that are considering it. And so if you'd like to know more, no pressure, no twisted arms, we invite you to be a part of our services on Sundays. Come to a midweek. This next week, we're starting a whole parenting thing, Timber Creek Midweek for parents. I need some help as a parent. And you can just dip your toe, you can kick the tires, no pressure. Maybe you're still considering it. That's okay. We're built for you. Maybe you would be D, and D, you're simply saying, hey, no thanks, I, I'm here because I came with a friend, I'm here because I came with family, this is what we do. Grandma said, I'm not going to ever make you that pie ever again unless you come to church with me right now, and she guilted you into coming. I'm so glad of her guilt. <laughs> um, and I'm glad you're here, and, and I want you to know that, that we're praying for you too. But be honest, you, you need to be honest with yourself. This isn't for me, and this isn't for God, this is for you to do a self-evaluation, inventory of your heart. And here's what I'm gonna do, here's the only thing. I want you to know that if you check mark B, it's okay. We, we pray for you and here's the prayer and I'm just gonna pray it for you right now. So would everybody in the room just bow your heads and close your eyes. And if you're a D, let me just say a quick prayer. Here it is. Jesus, if you are who you say you are, somehow, some way. I'm asking that you would do what only you can do. That nobody in this room would ever feel pressured into relationship, but invited into seeking you a little bit more. And that over the next 365 days from this Easter to next, Jesus, I just pray that you would give them what they need to show them that you're not an absent God, a distant God or a punishing God, but a loving God who is holy, who sets an excellent standard, but loves us and draws near to us. And God, however you can show that, that's your job and we leave it up to you. With heads bowed and eyes still closed, now let me pray for you if you said, I need to surrender my life to Jesus.
two most important days in your life, everybody, are the day you were born and the day you discover why. And I want you to know today's the day you discover why. Because God loves you and has a plan for your life. He wants to bring you out of anything that's holding you back, give you freedom from things that you feel stuck in, fresh life and fresh purpose so that he will make a difference in your life so that you might make a difference through your life. And if you're here today and that's you and your heart is beating and you're recognizing I need something today, in your own word, you'd simply say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I, I, I don't wanna be the, the king of my heart. I want you to be the king of my heart. I, I step up off the throne of my life and I say, you be king. Thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me loving me so much you would give me this moment to make things right with you and so I'm making a, a declaration today I'm, I'm forgetting what's behind and the regrets and the pain and even maybe some of the shame I've been wearing and I hand it to you if you said you paid for it okay here it is here it is thank you for receiving me just as I am help me take next steps with you I ask it in the name of Jesus the strong son of God and everybody everywhere said a good, strong amen.